0: Solemnly swear that I am up to no good. Messrs. Mooney, Wormtail, Padfoot,
1: and Prongs are proud to present the Marauder's map. If so you succeed tonight, more than one innocent life may be spared. <laughs> Expecto Patronum!
0: Hey everyone, welcome to Hogwarts, a podcast. Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of Hogwarts, a podcast. We're doing chapter 21, Hermione's Secret.
1: So secretive.
0: We have Elizabeth back with us.
1: Hi everyone.
0: And before we get into the chapter, I wanted to send a quick shout out to the Restricted Section podcast. They were kind enough to have me on recently, talking some Order of the Phoenix.
1: Oh, it's my favorite book.
0: It's mine, too, which is why they wanted me on. (laughs) So uh, I'll be talking about Chapter 3, The Advanced Guard, which is a really cool chapter. This is a non-spoiler section of here, so I won't get into what we talked about, but (laughs) check out the Restricted Section podcast. They're really cool. Thank you to Christina, the host, for having me on. Um, Go check it out. Yeah. So, um, this is we've had a couple of really short chapters toward the end of this book.
1: And then we get to this one. And
0: then we get to this one, (laughs) which I believe is almost 30 pages long, somewhere in that roundabout.
1: Yeah, it's pretty thick.
0: It's a pretty long chapter. Uh, The last chapter we had was like eight pages, so this is definitely an expanded, (laughs) but there's a lot that we get to. So, Mm -hmm. uh, really quick, uh, just to run down this chapter, we start out with Snape and Fudge having a conversation, and then... Albus comes in, kind of clears the room a little bit, talks with Harry and Hermione privately. He gives them quite a uh, discussion. Quite the monologue, really. It's just him talking.
1: And a vague, vague one at that for them. Yeah.
0: Um, as, as
1: per usual.
0: <laughs> so Albus does his thing. Albus, Albus being Albus <laughs> does his thing. And then we get into the time-turner section of this whole uh, chapter, which is really what this story kind of revolves around.
1: Is that her secret?
0: Maybe. (laughs) We'll find out. And, uh, yeah, so there's a lot of shenanigans involving time-turners here, and there's a lot of action that ensues. And then we finally end up with Sirius Black escaping from his cell, um, otherwise known as Flitwick's office. So, um, going back to the kind of beginning of the chapter, I loved the interaction between Snape and Fudge, Mm -hmm. they believe they're having a private conversation between the two of them just outside of the hospital wing.
1: Oh, I love that, them overhearing being talked about. Especially since Snape is not his normal nasty self.
0: No, he's talking, uh, well, he's really responding a lot to what Fudge is saying. I feel like Fudge is leading the conversation. Yeah. Just gushing over Snape and the job that he's done here. Yeah. Talking about possibly getting an order of Merlin second class, or... If Fudge can swing it, because he's the Minister of Magic, of course he could if he wanted to, get him the uh, first, first, class. first class Order makes of me Merlin. Which wonder,
1: like, what constitutes getting an Order of Merlin, you know?
0: I think you have to be, like, it's almost a nomination process. Like, someone has to nominate you for it, and mm-hmm. then it's almost like they check it. Like, they check what makes you worthy, and then that's kind of how it goes. It seems like a very informal thing.
1: Yeah, if you could just like nominate, though I suppose he is the Minister of Magic, so maybe it's his, his role.
0: I imagine if he wants to get it done, he gets it done. Yeah.
1: I just really love how it's like, okay, yes, obviously he's also like, okay, Harry Potter, we should be treating him like a normal person, and he would be in hardcore trouble for this, but there's also, he lets it known that like, okay, maybe they weren't in their entire senses, they could have had a Confundus charm on them judging by the behavior that they did which made zero sense like you know next to a supposed murderer so it, it's kind of nice it's like you know yes i hate these children but i'm still going to give them the benefit of the doubt that just struck me as interesting about snape
0: it was it wasn't i had the same note about him kind of going to bat for why the three did what they did yeah even when they attacked him yeah which seems like a very non-Snape, uh, path to take.
1: It seems very protective teacher mode.
0: A little bit. I think it goes back to what we've talked about before in regards to Snape and that whole Shrieking tra- Shack shrieking scene <laughs> of him coming in believing he truly was, is, the hero of that mm. whole scenario. Mm-hmm. I know you had some thoughts on the whole Snape interaction in the Shrieking Shack, but I believe there's spoilers, so we'll get to... Yeah, we'll have to
1: get to that later. We'll
0: get a little bit more into his kind of reaction to everything. I just uh, had
1: thoughts spurred by your discussion with Molly, so...
0: Yeah, well, I'm ready for him, because I think that was a really (laughs) cool discussion that we had around Snape's motivations, which I don't think many people really... Yeah. Yeah. I don't think many people really kind of think about that kind of stuff. Yeah. So, uh, anyway... I think both
1: of us talked about Madame Pomfrey for a second. I just love her shoving chocolate in Harry's mouth. Just be like, shut up, child, and get your medicine, and just let the grown-ups deal with the situation, because you're my patient.
0: Well, in regards to Madame Pomfrey, first of all, (laughs) just to kind of tail back on Snape for just a second, Mm -hmm. we find out from Snape that he conjured stretchers yeah, to kind of get them all back, which is a much safer way... You wish you could do that. I like... Well, yes, I do wish I could do that. (laughs) But, you know, Sirius and Lupin uh, do not exactly do that for Snape. No. But Snape does do it for for Sirius. He puts him on a stretcher. He doesn't randomly float him, hitting him on every (laughs) single branch, which he could do at that point in time. No (laughs) one would say. I mean,
1: he'd be kind of justified in some ways. In some ways, he would be.
0: But uh, that's kind of an interesting take, too. He actually conjured stretchers for... The three of them. For yeah, Ron, for, for his
1: childhood for, No, for,
0: for all four of them. For Ron, Hermione, Harry, and Sirius. He conjured stretches for them. Yeah. But then, yes. Br- brings it back to Myron Pomfrey, who is uh, a little on edge.
1: I mean, it's like an invasion of the hospital wing. There's yeah. Snape there. There's, you know, the Minister of Magic and Professor Dumbledore. And it's just like, I want to take care of my children who have gone through a very traumatic thing and are obviously hurt and chocolate.
0: I do kind of feel bad for Madame Pomfrey because I do know what it's like when you're trying to establish care for a patient and you have people hovering over you, <laughs> seemingly doing the exact opposite of what that patient needs.
1: Oh, uh, you mean your your parents and random parents people in your and office? Parents and coaches
0: don't help. and administrators, all everybody, <laughs> other students, <laughs> like the whole the whole bit. So I do feel bad for Madam Pomfrey. Um, there is. A larger picture here, mm-hmm. which we get the entrance of Albus Dumbledore, mm-hmm. uh, who clears the scene pretty effectively, I think.
1: Yeah, it just boggles my mind. I, I know it's like, it's his domain being Hogwarts, but the fact that he can just order the Minister of Magic to leave is insane to
0: me. His, he carry his presence just carries a lot of weight. Yeah. So it's like, if Dumbledore says something, okay. Yeah. All right. So, yes, uh, I think both of us noticed that, that he kind of just came in and took charge of the Mm -hmm. situation very effectively, very efficiently. Uh, Despite Madame Pomfrey's objections and her passive-aggressiveness slamming of the door behind her.
1: And Snape trying to be like, um, are you kidding me? Which, I
0: also want to get back to that in the spoiler Spoiler. section. Yeah, we have a lot of Snape in the spoiler (laughs) section, but that's okay. Anyway, so as soon as Fudge, Snape, and Pomfrey make their exits...
1: Mm Mm-hmm.
0: Harry and Hermione just go off in this uh, rant, if you will, to Dumbledore, which I can only imagine Dumbledore's, like, rolling his eyes at and being, like, children.
1: See, I don't feel like he'd be (laughs) rolling his eyes. I think he'd just be like, look, I know I'm finally the first person who's listening to you, but we don't have time for this, so you just gotta let me talk, and you guys shush.
0: Yeah. Uh, In which, in part of that rant, Harry says that Peter attacked Ron. Mm Mm-hmm. When exactly did Peter attack Ron?
1: I mean, as a rat, he, as was a rat <laughs> he was biting and
0: scratching. But I feel like Harry's trying to paint the picture of the broken leg was Peter. Like the most damage done to Ron was actually done by Sirius,
1: right? I mean, unless
0: he's passively putting it on Peter and being like, because Peter exists, all of this happened to Ron. <laughs>
1: But, uh, Maybe because he emotionally attacked him since he's been sleeping in his bed
0: secretly this whole time. Since they've been sleeping together? Yeah. For <laughs> Disturbing. <laughs> On so many levels. Uh, so, anyway, uh, I just took note of that. I was like, wait, wait when exactly did Peter attack Ron? Uh. Or, but whatever. Uh, Aldis, um <laughs> finally hushes them. Mm-hmm. And is like, can I, can I speak?
1: Mm-hmm. He has a lot to say.
0: He has a lot to say. I think you have it marked here what the first bit he says is.
1: The very first bit? Yep. It is your turn to listen, and I beg you will not interrupt me, because there is very little time. There is not a shred of proof to support Black's story except your word, and the word of two 13-year-old wizards will not convince anybody. A street full of eyewitnesses swore they saw Sirius murder Pettigrew. I myself gave evidence to the Ministry that Sirius had been the Potter's secret keeper.
0: I I like a lot of what was said there, especially the note of, I myself gave evidence.
1: Yeah. It shows that he can also be manipulated and tricked.
0: Well, to his knowledge, Mm -hmm. which I think is the whole thing, like Snape, we talked about, thinks he's right. Right. Everything he knows points to him being correct here. That's what Dumbledore is admitting to as well. Like
1: right. everything, I mean, because that's been fact for the past thirteen years.
0: Right, and if even Dumbledore can say like, "Whoa, whoa, whoa! I thought this was the case too."
1: Right, I was wrong,
0: and I was wrong, mm-hmm. which is not a thing he really probably utters all that often.
1: And I also like the fact that he's like, you know, listen, two thirteen-year-old, like your opinion is not going to persuade any adult, which is. An unfortunate reality like most adults will not take a teenager seriously
0: well especially when you have we just said dumbledore came into a room and told the minister of magic to get out right If he himself gave evidence
1: mm-hmm. to the
0: contrary yeah
1: no, two 13 year old wizards no are not going to overrule
0: uh, dumbledore right who just told the minister of magic to leave right so and then he
1: i mean he talks about how professor lupin is in the forest and People do not trust werewolves, so even if his, you know, testimony were to come out, no one's going to believe him. No one's going to listen to him, especially since he and Sirius were friends. There's just no trust there.
0: Well, now the news is out. Mm-hmm. The news is out that he's aware of because Fudge is here. Right. So now it is a known thing that Lupin is aware of. Right. So yeah. So the Lupin idea is completely out of the realm of possibility.
1: Mm-hmm. And he kind of rounds it up saying like. I have no power to make other men see the truth or to overrule the Ministry of Magic, the Minister of Magic. And Harry is just like, feels like all the oxygen's just been, you know, the floor has been pulled out from underneath his feet. Like, there's, Dumbledore can solve anything and he can't solve this.
0: And then he comes in with what I think is just a great line. It's subtle. Mm Mm-hmm. And I love the way it's worded, because he like shifts his gaze over to Hermione, right, and speaks directly to Hermione here, and is like, what we need is more time. And Hermione's like, wait, what? Oh. Right. Which,
1: once again, Hermione being the first one to actually understand what's going on
0: with anything. Took her literally a second, but <laughs> she figured
1: it out. I love this. Okay, I love his next little instructions, too, because... In typical Dumbledore fashion, they're not the most clear, and yet these are pro- possibly the most specific ones he's ever given. said, Sirius is locked in Professor Footwork's office on the seventh floor, 13th window from the right of the West Tower. If all goes well, you will be able to save more than one innocent life night. But remember this, both of you, you must not be seen. Miss Granger, you know the law. You know what is at stake. You must not be seen. And Harry's just like, I have no idea what's going on.
0: <laughs> yeah, I I like the whole 7th floor, 13th window from the right. Yeah. Very specific.
1: And very quick. I mean, if you're Harry, you have no idea what's going on. So you're going to remember these numbers. You're
0: banking on Hermione. 100%. You're banking on Hermione 100%, for sure. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's very specific. Mm-hmm. And from that point on, it's basically Hermione... Figuring out the steps that are needed going forward. And then Dumbledore just...
1: Yeah, he said three turns. It's five minutes to midnight. Three turns should do it. Good luck. And then sends him out, locks the door. And Hermione's like, mission mode. And Harry's just like... No no idea. no idea what's going on. No
0: idea what's going on. (laughs) Uh, I do find it interesting. So we get into the time turner portion of this.
1: I love the time turner so much.
0: So... Can um, we just
1: pause for a second and talk about how fantastic the Time Turner is as a magical <laughs> item? Because you guys, it is... Okay, There, it's my second favorite magical item. It's one of the things... I remember the first time I read this, I was like, I'm so jealous of Hermione. I want one. And literally for the exact same reason, I want to be able to redo hours so I can just get stuff done. <laughs> I feel like there's never enough time in the day to get everything done.
0: That is dependent on you... <laughs> being motivated enough once you turn the time back (laughs) to actually get stuff done and just not have another hour to just sit and like I mean I would probably also
1: do an hour of like a nap or two (laughs) But I would totally use it I'm a teacher and I have so much work and especially these days I'm starting at a brand new school district so I feel like I'm just drowning right now so if I had a time turner that would be a tremendous help.
0: Hey, I feel that. I have had a couple of very busy weeks at the high school myself. I'm not a teacher, but I do work at a high school. And uh yes, I could use an extra hour <laughs> or two to do setup, to to watch the events that I need to watch, all all these things. Oh, it
1: would be such such a lifesaver.
0: It really would help out. I did um, find
1: it interesting though, three turns. A turn is an hour. But that must explain why wizards don't tend to go back years. <laughs> you know?
0: Yes, it would be a little bit difficult, and to keep track, because you yeah. can't. it's not like you could just flip the thing and let it spin a couple of times, you really need to keep track of how yeah. long you're going.
1: and imagine if you lost count.
0: <laughs> right? <laughs> Here's my issue with the time thing, uh-huh. and this is completely irrelevant to the actual plot and storyline, uh-huh. but it's just a quirk of me. So I get they're in arguably the highlands of Scotland, right? They're very far north. Mm. I understand that but let me just set the the scene here
1: mm-hmm.
0: there're 5 minutes to midnight you go back 3 turns 3 hours you're at 9:55 p.m. you go outside still sun shining brightly at 9:55 p.m. <laughs> if anybody's listening from Scotland is this true in early june <laughs> Are you still having, like, sunshine after 10 p.m.? (laughs) Like, still up above the tree
1: line? Yeah, because here in Chicago, we are not. (laughs) No, not even, like,
0: towards the solstice. So Like, we're not even that, like, Mm -hmm. that's crazy. Uh, Anyway, I just, (laughs) that was just me. So they have some sunlight to play with for, for a little while before the sun sets.
1: But first there's the whole, like, let's catch Harry up conversation. It's a time-turner. She got it from Professor McGonagall. She's using it to go back and redo hours of her lessons.
0: It's not just a time-turner, though. It's a teleporter, apparently. Because they went from the hospital wing to the entrance hall. They teleported. Time-turner. I wonder if you
1: have to like tell yourself where you're going to be before
0: you do it. I think it has something to do with where you were at that time. Because... Mm literally seconds after well, they Oh yeah,
1: her. that would explain why she dragged him into the closet so quickly because she knew she knew they were going to be there in like 5 seconds.
0: So maybe I there's something buy that. Yeah. Maybe there's some inherent magic in the time turner where it puts you in that time you want to be, mm-hmm. but gives you enough time to miss your previous self.
1: Yeah, that's really poorly designed if like so many battling right? with time leads to death and, and destruction. Why have it send you back to where you were?
0: Exactly. So maybe there's some inherent magic where they're like, I know you want 955, but let's do 954 just to yeah. make sure we get it. Well, I've always
1: here. read it as like she pulled him into the closet because she's so paranoid about being seen. But yeah, that would make sense of... They we could like... see ourselves and we're invisible, so we can't even see ourselves seeing ourselves.
0: Right. <laughs> right. So, I mean, because they get in the closet and then, like, seconds later,
1: mm-hmm. uh,
0: the the trio walks by under the cloak. Mm-hmm.
1: Once again, though, I know I brought this up, like, towards the beginning of the book when we were discussing this. But I I still think McGonagall should have known better about giving this time turner to Hermione. Yes, yeah, she's been using it, you know, for her studies and whatever, but it has done such damage to her. She is so stressed out. And just seeing her, like, in the actual time travel mode and how careful they have to be about potentially running into anybody. Like, that stress alone, even if you didn't have all the studies to do, that stress alone would be
0: so hard. This is relatively easy. When you're doing this to get to classes, Mm -hmm. there's students... Everywhere. Everywhere. And
1: every single person is a potential witness who could have just ran into you five seconds ago.
0: When you're going in and out of the common room with this, mm-hmm. that's a lot of potential pickups mm-hmm. and issues. Mm-hmm. So this is probably a piece of cake for Hermione, yeah, I feel given like the, other than the added stress. I feel
1: like McGonagall should have given her a classroom that was specifically for her to use as like a time travel study room or something
0: before we get too far away from it we should note I, I don't believe we've said specifically yet but dumbledore did make mention that if all goes well more than one innocent life shall be saved tonight. right
1: which hermione is, does not know what that means
0: hermione doesn't know and this is like the one time where harry picks up on things quick after hermione like explains what exactly is going on yeah
1: like we are in the past now it's now our present <laughs>
0: Harry ends up picking up on the Mm two-will-be-saved-tonight line pretty quickly.
1: So who are we saving?
0: We are saving Buckbeak. So they have gone back in time far enough. Obviously, the trio under the cloak is going out to Hagrid's Mm -hmm. to console him before this event.
1: Which, again, this is so hard because they're invisible. So, yes, I mean, they have some recollection of where they were walking, but they weren't paying attention to where they were walking. And now... they do have to be aware of where their invisible selves are so that their future selves don't be seen. It's just so intense.
0: Yeah, so they take a roundabout way, and they describe the way, but Mm -hmm. uh, they take a roundabout way Mm -hmm. to get to the back door of Hagrid's from the Forbidden Forest, and they kind of skulk in the edge of the forest.
1: And it takes so much planning and thinking. I mean, you have to be aware of what every what your past self did and what other people who are in their present could potentially do and god forbid someone just comes out of like the greenhouse or something is like hey what are you guys doing here come see my new plant like oh you know like everything can throw you off we can't we're
0: going to the forbidden forest right yeah
1: (laughs) so i mean it's, it's just like there's so much to keep track of it's no wonder that this magic like technology is not really available to the general public like all of time would be a disaster
0: so they eventually get to hagrid's hut Mm -hmm. and they see themselves take off the cloak in front of hagrid Mm -hmm. and here he goes this is the weirdest thing we've ever done which says a lot (laughs) it says a lot and it's probably accurate yeah uh so anyway they Watch the conversation happening, um, being and careful to listen for certain cues, so they know exactly where they're at like in the Like the timeline. milk jug
1: breaking, finding scabbers in a second, yeah, scream.
0: So uh, then you get the the group heading down to perform the actual execution, mm-hmm. and Hermione notes that they need to wait until they see Buckbeak, which is really smart. Well, Harry's all gung ho about like, well, I could just do this now, and Hermione's like, no. Right. Then they could assume that Hagrid right. let them lose, and Hagrid would be in trouble. So it's such
1: a small window of time that they could actually Very succeed small. In it.
0: And anyway, so they end up accomplishing this, and they bring Buckbeak uh, rel- somewhat reluctantly into the forest, and they all come out, and McNair is upset because he was the one that spotted Buckbeak when they were walking in or out the window. And he's like, I can't believe he's gone. He was right here. He was tied up. And then they go into this long explanation of like, well, you know, we could search the grounds, We could search the forest or, you know, Dumbledore comes in. And like, well, why don't you search the skies? If thing thinking flies. So.
1: Right. Which this whole bit, I had a new reading this time around with it. Okay. Um now I'm looking at some other details. I'm going to tweak it a little bit from my original notes that I wrote down. I think that Dumbledore saw them outside the window while he was inside Hagrid's hut. You have to follow me down the rabbit hole, as you will, okay? So I think that if Dumbledore saw Harry and Hermione outside trying to free Buckbeak, immediately there's going to be a whole bunch of thoughts just going through his brain of, you know, it's late, as we've already said, it's 9.55, they're out of bounds, That's not necessarily too out of character for them. not for Harry. But they're doing something illegal with trying to free Buckbeak. And Hermione is not going to do something illegal, especially with the Minister of Magic, like, mere feet away. So I think Dumbledore would see that and recognize, like, that's weird and out of character and potentially something that I should be paying attention to. It's like a quick little thought that I'm going to, put aside in my brain and come back to when I can process it. I think he also gets the enjoyment out of seeing like, you know, the good karma, the good justice of Buckbeak did not deserve to be executed. So if he can be freed, by all means, let it happen. But I think that him seeing them freeing Buckbeak would make him definitely draw McNear's attention back to the document that he was supposed to sign. Cause I think he was just so focused on like, I get to kill something, that he just overlooked it. And I think by drawing his attention back to the document that is the thing that gives them the time obviously. But I think that's also why he said when they came out, he said it, how extraordinary in the note of amusement. I think the amusement isn't so much because he's believing that, like, you know, a hippogriff was able to escape freely. I think it's the amusement of knowing that Harry and Hermione and Buckbeak are literally just beyond the bushes over there. And I know they walked away because I saw them do it.
0: I agree and I disagree. (laughs) (laughs) I agree. Dumbledore clearly has a grand design here. Mm -hmm. I guess I'm disagreeing on specifics. (laughs) I would say, I think he's made up his, he knows Hermione has a time turner.
1: Mm -hmm. I'd
0: assume he'd have to somewhat approve. Right. Whatever. Right. Or help vouch, whatever. For
1: her to get it. Which is why I think he sees this and is like, time travel is happening right now. I should take note of that.
0: See, I, that's, that's the point where I disagree with. I think his, I think he could have planned, hey, I'm going to use this. Mm Mm-hmm time-turner thing to my advantage. Mm-hmm. Here's what I want to have happen. Mm-hmm. So I think he decided that prior to.
1: I think it's... And then
0: if if you're right, uh-huh. if you're right and that he saw them out the window or whatever, mm-hmm. and that played into his amusement, mm-hmm. he knows his plan worked.
1: Okay, so going with that, right? Like, we know he distracted Hagrid by saying, like, I need a drink, which I feel like is slightly out of character for him, maybe not too much so, but I feel like it as an impressive man, it takes a lot to really throw him off his game. So the idea of like a hippogriff just escaping is not going to be enough for him to be like, oh, I need a drink, you know? I think it's just I need I know I need to put Haggard back in his hut so that Buckbeak doesn't like reveal himself and then get Haggard in trouble because Harry and Hermione would obviously be like, you know, part of the the scheme or whatever. So by distracting them, he knows that gives Harry and Hermione the time to get away. And I think he sees it happening, and it's just, again, it's just like that thought that I put to the side. And it's not until later when things have come full circle and he realizes, oh, I'm the one who told them to go back in time, that that closes his time loop and avoids a time paradox.
0: Let us know, folks. (laughs) Elizabeth and I agree that Dumbledore is up to some shenanigans.
1: <laughs> he just always is.
0: <laughs> Let us know if it was pre-planned or if he just winged it and went with it as it happened. Yeah, uh, I,
1: I just, Yeah, I just feel like it's, it's... I've always loved this time travel story the most out of any time travel story. And I've never really been able to pinpoint why it works so well for me. And I think it's just because it so perfectly avoids the time paradox. Like most stories, it's, you know, people go back in time to fix something that went wrong. Somebody's death or or whatever the case may be, usually death. But most of the time that time travel doesn't work because you time traveled to fix the thing that made you time travel. It's a paradox. Whereas with this, it's, you know, Dumbledore witnessed the time travel before he ordered the time travel. And because Harry and Hermione don't know what they're going back in time to fix... Exactly, I think that's the only reason why this is able to succeed.
0: Once again, I both agree and disagree. <laughs> uh, I agree to your Harry and Hermione not knowing exactly what they were doing probably led more to their success. Right. I still disagree on the Dumbledore bit. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> so, anyway, we are running a little long. So uh, we're going to get to the rest of this time turner thing, because there's a lot to it still. They end up having to essentially camp out for a couple of hours as the whole Shrieking Shack scene
1: is playing out. playing yeah. out,
0: which Just watching from afar. <laughs> they do notice some interesting things, though. Right after they go into the Shrieking Shack, Dumbledore and the crew from the Ministry right. pass right by where they just were. Right. Which is... A very like uh, nick of time kind of yeah, uh, moment. and it shows
1: you how like how time travel and and like fate and stuff. It's like like with the with Trelawney like predicting the future. Like so many things have to specifically happen the way they did. Mere seconds can change everything.
0: Yeah, 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 <laughs> absolutely. So they finally witness the whole uh, shrieking shack uh, moment, which Harry tries time and time again. Well, the cloak is out there. If I don't get the cloak, then they, and then Snape can't sneak up and ruin this whole thing. Right. Hermione's like, "No, you idiot! Stop!" <laughs> well, But she have
1: to say so many times?
0: Well, Pettigrew's right there. I could just grab him really quick. <laughs> no, you idiot! Stop! <laughs> like I get it, but you can't do that. Right. Um. So.
1: <laughs> to be fair, he didn't get the crash course of like time travel rules the way she got from McGonagall.
0: I do understand his impulsiveness, yeah. like. To be so close, and you know what's going to happen. Well, you know most of what's going to happen. You don't know. You don't know that Dumbledore and the crew is showing up right then. Right. You don't know that Hagrid is drunkly walking back to the castle. (laughs) You don't know those parts because you weren't privy to those originally. So, hence Hermione being like, no, 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 you can't do this. We don't know everything that's going on.
1: I mean, she brings up that good question of, I mean, the what if, right? Like, had they seen... um you know, serious and and all that, like, yeah, they would have ordered for the Dementors to come and just give him the kiss, and then what would have happened? Like, again, mere seconds can change the fate of everything.
0: Sure. Eventually we get, uh, Hermione and Harry go back to Hagrid's hut because they realize that once Lupin transforms into a werewolf, he's going to be coming right towards them.
1: And we can still get hurt in the past. Because this is now our present time.
0: Correct. (laughs) So they go back to Hagrid's hut. And they kind of hide out there for a little bit.
1: I like Buckbeak settling down for a nap.
0: Yeah. But Harry wants to see how the Dementor scene at the edge of the lake plays out. Mm -hmm. So he leaves the hut. And goes to see how this happens, and he's waiting, and he's waiting, and he's waiting. What he thinks is going to happen, because he thinks his, the familiar, shadowy figure he saw on the other mm-hmm. side of the lake mm-hmm. resembles his dad. So he believes that his dad is going to appear... Right. He does, he's not sure how, because it makes zero sense, given everything he's heard.
1: Well, especially his knowledge about ghosts, right? I mean, nearly had too, this yeah. Nick, and everybody else has been floating around the castle. He's never seen James Potter floating around.
0: So contrary to everything that he logically knows, <laughs> he truly believes his dad will appear and conjure the Patronus. Mm-hmm. It doesn't happen. It doesn't happen. Mm-hmm. It doesn't happen. then he's finally like oh, wait, I look like my dad. This was me. Right. I'm supposed to do this. And he steps up and you get that, uh, sorry, spoiler alert for our intro, but you get the expecto patronum <laughs> sound. And and
1: it's the most powerful patronus he has cast so far. Yes. Which full I think corporeal patronus. just the thought of James is what allowed him to produce it, which is so like, oh, it makes me want to cry.
0: That and the knowledge of him being able to do it I think always helps. Mm-hmm. Like, when you know you can do it, mm-hmm. you automatically get a little bit and better. And to be
1: fair, there aren't any Dementors near him. But still, also true. producing with the happy, happy memory of his dad, and just that love, that, like, gush of it, I think it's, you know, it's, it's very similar to, like, Lily's love of, of him. That well, protection. before we get to
0: the, the ooey-gooey nature of the loving, <laughs> uh, the loving aspect, I just wanted to point out such Britishness in this book, where oh, yeah. the word quieting... Was used, which apparently is just a British word meaning "too quiet." Yeah. Anyway, I digress. <laughs> Moving on. So the, as we know, the Patronus canters back right. to its um to the the producer of the charm, and Harry sees that figure try to pat it on the head.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Well, this happens. The the large stag comes back to Harry, mm-hmm. and he just says the word.
1: Prongs.
0: Prongs. Yeah. And goes to touch the, the Patronus, but as he does, it, it vanishes.
1: Which it vanishes. is such a powerful moment. It's a
0: great moment. It's a very great moment. And then, uh, because he has to get snapped out of that moment, because he still has a second person to save. <laughs> right. Uh, they gotta remember
1: uh, the numbers of the, the windows and whatnot.
0: Exactly. So he has to get Hermione up on this hippogriff, which he is not all about. And they have to then fly to the seventh floor and the 13th window from the right, uh, Flitwick's office, mm-hmm. which is interesting. Do and you ag-
1: think? And again, sorry, the, the, this whole time, they have to remember too, like, I mean, Buckbeak is a hippogriff. They have to bow to him, they have to be showing the respect to him. At any point, Buckbeak could just be like, ah, I'm not doing this. And he's massive. They wouldn't have the power to move him if he decided not to go along with it.
0: Well, it's also a creature and not a broom or something. So it's they mention it's bobbing up and down right, this entire time? Right, right. So do you think with Sirius being... This is an aside, I'm sorry. Yeah. Uh, do you think with Sirius being in Flitwick's office specifically, Flitwick put some... Def- windows. <laughs> well, clearly not the windows, because they open it fairly easily enough. <laughs> but to their credit, I mean, it's the seventh floor. Like, how many it's hard to get to and it's hard to get out of mm-hmm. and Sirius doesn't have a wand so I'm assuming he put enchantments on the room itself and the door oh probably to the room. probably but he probably left the window unaccounted for because well, why would you need to necessarily barricade if, like he's not going to jump out the window probably right so anyway and they they conventionally locked it <laughs> so, I mean whatever
1: I just love imagining from Sirius's perspective of of just like, you know, I'm, I'm sitting in this room preparing to die, or at least not, you know, actual death, but being kissed, and then it's just like, oh! There he is outside my window. It's like the same way Harry felt when uh, Ron was outside his window in Chamber yeah. of Secrets. It's that's probably like, a very... Yeah. Like, where did you come from and how are you here?
0: No, that's probably a very good comparison of like, what is going on right now? Right. Uh, this I did not have on my bingo card of how this night was going to go. <laughs> uh, like so... he doesn't
1: have time to explain it either. It's just like, go, just get out of here, survive
0: yeah and it, him clamoring first of all the window does not sound very large it no, sounds not at all. relatively thin which is probably another reason why they're like who's gonna break out of this thing but he gets his arms and now again put yourself into serious his mindset here i get that what you have waiting for you is worse than whatever can possibly happen to you right in the next preceding moments
1: but you're trying to clamor onto the
0: back of a hippogriff on the seventh, seventh floor. <laughs> floor that's bobbing up and down and you're coming head and shoulders first out of this window and there's
1: already people on it
0: this is not easy and no. terrifying no i'm just saying
1: <laughs> I, I suppose the adrenaline rush is making sure. him be extra agile
0: <laughs> but anyway they fly up to the top of uh i believe the west tower uh or one of the towers yeah west the, tower the west tower and they they do this exchange, and Sirius wants to have a moment, and they're like, just go. There is
1: no time for moments just right now.
0: Just go.
1: <laughs> which I love the no time for moments, because I feel like in movies and stuff, there's always like, let's have the moment. It's like, no. Literally, you're going to die. Get out of here as quickly as possible.
0: I do want to bring that up in the spoiler section. Okay. But, uh, should yeah. Should we just
1: get to the spoiler?
0: We should, because we are running crazy long, which is something <laughs> we always say here, so we apologize. To be
1: fair, this is a very, very long chapter. It is a long It's chapter. just so good so good.
0: Yes. We hope you've stuck with us and you've enjoyed uh, what we've discussed so far. Uh, we have a lot of Snape coming up. We have some uh, some serious stuff coming up. Some time turner discussion. And maybe a random deep dive. We'll see if we have time for that from me. So Come back! We will be right back with the spoiler section.
1: You! You foul! Loads of them evil little cockroach!
0: All right, we are back with the spoiler section. And we wanted to start off with some Snape stuff. Elizabeth, you had a point... Yeah, uh, your notes.
1: your conversation with Molly the other day, when you were talking about how Snape, like he sees himself as a hero, and all of the points that you brought up, I I loved. I was like, yeah, I agree, hundred percent. But I really thought you were gonna. Thank go- you. <laughs> I thought you were gonna go further though, because me when you were when you guys were talking, I just started thinking about how. In Snape's mind, you know, Sirius is the person who led to the death of Lily. And I mean, obviously, of course, Voldemort is the most to blame for her death. But in his mind, it's Sirius who betrayed them, who, um, you know, led Voldemort to them and allowed the love of his life to be killed. Since, you know, it's a lot easier to blame Sirius than it is to blame himself sharing the prophecy in the first place. So I just thought like, you know, his anger is so intense, he's lost his cool so many times in these past few chapters, and which is out of character for him. And I was just thinking, you know, it, it's because he can finally maybe bring some justice to to Lily and he's robbed of that chance.
0: I definitely agree. I think Lily dying definitely registers with Snape Mm -hmm. I I completely agree with that. Yeah, let's just toss it on the list of reasons (laughs) he thought he was heroic. Yeah. Which, it's not to say, it's not like he was being a false hero. That's not what we're saying
1: No, no, no. It's just that well, I mean, every great villain sees themselves as, as the hero of their own story. Not that I'm saying he's a villain. I was going to say that... He's doing the right thing here.
0: I think he believes he's doing the right thing, and like 99% of onlookers would agree that he is right. doing the correct thing. It's right. just you need to know the exact specific details that Pettigrew actually does exist. Right. Uh, still, that's... And that throws everything into question. But Snape doesn't know that. Right. So, you know, it. but yes, throw the Lily thing onto the <laughs> immense stack of reasons why Snape feels like he's 100% valid mm-hmm. in feeling the way he does and acting the way he does.
1: And deserves the Order of Merlin.
0: Which I believe he does not get. <laughs> no, he doesn't get it. Because he doesn't end up getting it because Sirius ends up escaping.
1: Right, and uh, add that to the long, long list of why he has a crutch against him. <laughs> yeah, that's fair. Uh,
0: I, although I'm not sure, I don't think it's ever explicitly said, if he earns one posthumously for his work as a double agent.
1: Yeah, I don't know.
0: I'd assume that he does ultimately earn it. Whether you like that or not... <laughs> That, whatever, that's a whole other but argument.
1: at very least, I mean, he gets a child named after him. Whether or not he would have approved of that or enjoyed that is debatable. Fair but... enough
0: as well. <laughs> but I think those surviving that knew of his double agent status
1: mm-hmm.
0: would probably have vouched for him getting it. So I'm assuming he got one posthumously for it. But
1: Yeah. I will say, going off of that a little, little bit, but just for my train of thought... Um, this is another one of those things where plot points later on in other books, if applied here, could have easily fixed and avoided everything. You know? Like, okay, yes, we have the 13 year old who no one wants to believe, and the werewolf who no one wants to believe, and a murderer who no one wants to believe. That's all fine and dandy, except we're forgetting the fact that we have magic, which can be used to, like, check stories. Like, we have the, you know, you can check the wands to see what the reverse spells were that they used. We have, you know, the potion that can make you tell the truth. You can even pull the memories and stick them in the Pensieve and be like, let's all watch what happened, literally, from your memory. Like, there are things they could have done, and the past 13 years could have been avoided if Barty Crouch had just not held serious without trial. If he had taken the time to check the facts, because we have magic to do so, everything could be avoided.
0: So, to those points, I'll take them from easiest to most difficult to get around. <laughs> uh, the memory thing, we've seen that you can alter your memories.
1: Yes, but it becomes fuzzy. It becomes very clear. You might
0: know that something's not right with it, but mm-hmm. that doesn't mean you can figure out what that is. Eh, actually is. Well, I
1: guess you could at least see like... You could assume. You could at least see that it's been altered so you would know what you're seeing is not true.
0: Yes, but you can't assume and fill in the blanks. Right. So that's the trick to get around that. I'm assuming, I don't know this for a fact, but I would assume highly advanced wizards that know they're going to come in contact with predicaments. Mm -hmm. I don't know if you can or not. Train yourself with Veritas here a little bit. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if there's a resistance to it, mm-hmm. or if they can take a potion, or they can charm a way to get around it. I'm not, I honestly don't know the answer to that.
1: Well, that'd be something that'd be interesting to look into, because I've always took it as like, look, this it's is a definitive thing. Yes, yeah, like it's going to make you tell the truth regardless of what you I, want. And that might
0: actually be true. I'm just throwing a potential.
1: I guess the loophole against that would be like, it's hard to come by. And it's a very, very complicated potion, so the chances of having it, eh, maybe not. Though I would assume like the, the would assume ministry would it. have some on. I agree on, with that. You know, on file.
0: Now, as far as the wand goes, <laughs> that's more tricky, mm-hmm. and I don't know how you would. Or at least I can't think of right now as we're talking about this how you kind of would get around it or why you wouldn't check it. Mm-hmm. I think.
1: Because I mean, they could have checked Peter's wand and seen that he had used the curse.
0: You know what? I retract everything I just said. We're talking about <laughs> we're talking about the Ministry of Magic.
1: They so you should be checking these things.
0: Yeah, but here's the thing: if you go back to my deep dive from Lupin mm-hmm. and his father Lyle mm-hmm. wanting to just hold. Fenrir Greyback for 24 hours in a cell until the moon changes. Which is
1: very interesting, by the way. I never read any of that stuff, so that was cool.
0: Yeah, thank you. So he just wanted to hold him for 24 hours Mm -hmm. until the moon changes, and we can definitively tell if he is or is not a werewolf. And they wouldn't do that. So if they're not doing that, when they have a multitude of witnesses pointing to one thing... Yeah, I
1: (laughs) agree with your point. They are incompetent (laughs) and should be better.
0: Yes, okay. (laughs) There we go. Really quick, and I know uh, we want to talk about this in our end of Prisoner of Aswan wrap-up a little bit, but Mm -hmm. I'm going to kind of preemptively get to that. I know Anna will want to talk about it. Hopefully we'll have her on for the final episode. But Mm -hmm. um, I did want to mention the serious wanting to have a moment at the end, but having to fly off. Mm -hmm. And the differences between the book and the movie here.
1: Oh, yeah, please enlighten me, because I do not remember the movie. It's been
0: a long time. Reading this book, and again... Anna and I will have this conversation, and it will probably get a little bit more heated than this, but <laughs> <clears throat> I'm going to say a very inflammatory thing right now. Okay. For the most part, I feel like this book is aggressively accurate when transferred to the movie. Like, literally, word for word, lines sometimes go straight from the pages of the book yeah. to those characters saying them.
1: Well, that's how I wish the whole whole movie that's was. That's
0: fair. I will say this, though. Uh-huh. There are two instances where the book aggressively diverts from the movie, or the movie diverts from the book. Okay. And one is in the Shrieking Shack, and that is the scene that most Harry Potter book fans uh, are most aggressively against. The thing that they cut out from the book scene is essentially most of Lupin's monologue about the Marauders and, you know, them and how they've affected him and and all of that. That's a
1: shame, because most of this chapter is just like, you know, the four Marauders and and how they interact with Harry.
0: They do cut out a lot of that from Lupin, which gives a lot of background. It gives a lot of background to James, specifically, that is left behind. So Mm -hmm. I will give you all of that. That's very, very true. They seem to supplant it. By giving Sirius that scene at the end that they cut here in the book. So, in the book, he obviously, they're like, no, get out of here. Just go.
1: Do they know? have him linger in the movie? They
0: have him linger in the movie in like a, in a courtyard area. <laughs> and it's it, it's because you have, I know why they have it. It's because you have Gary Oldman, right. who is a treasure. Right. Uh, I, I will hear nothing against Gary Oldman as an actor. Because <laughs> um, that's just wrong. But you have Gary Oldman. You're gonna give Gary Oldman something to say right of value so you know he has that line to Harry about you know wanting to stay with me and whatever and it's a wonderful moment and that happens in the book but when they're about to leave um, Sirius has this uh, little monologue that he gives to Harry
1: Mm. and
0: it's a beautiful monologue and it is a really nice sentiment it's a nice scene it doesn't happen in the books (laughs)
1: Logically, he needs to escape or else he'll die. <laughs>
0: Other people have said that it also doesn't necessarily fit Sirius' character. You could debate back and forth on that. Mm-hmm. Um, which I'm sure we will. Uh, <laughs> but th- but those are the two big differences that I have noticed after reading the Does book. Does the
1: movie show him more as like Book 4 Sirius than Book 3 one? Because I feel like Book 3 Sirius is like he's an escaped convict, he's like still kind of uh, up there and and it's like
0: i think he does have a soft spot for harry though
1: well yeah it's developing certainly and i mean he's 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 escaped from prison to protect harry and i think
0: well there's Sirius obviously saw harry as a baby Mm -hmm. and Sirius has spent this entire year watching him Mm -hmm. uh and watching him play quidditch and watching him develop as a wizard and being like... Yeah,
1: but even then, it, it can still be awkward to finally meet someone. No,
0: that's true, yes. So, like, yes. does
1: the movie make it seem like they've had this relationship for a long time? No.
0: I Well, I think Gary Oldman plays it very well in that I think that scene where he's talking to Harry right after they get out of the, the Whomping Willow, uh-huh. I think that comes off as very genuine. Okay. Uh, Very much like the scene in the book, to me. It's this scene, at the end, that I think people take most issue with. Because A, it doesn't exist in the book, and B, it quote-unquote doesn't fit his character
1: i suppose at some
0: point but if you're going off this sorry but if you're going off the scene of him exiting the whomping willow that's a caring softer sirius which is what we see for the first time
1: well especially because it's you know harry just said he wants to live with sirius and he's just like really yeah oh right sweet
0: it's a softer side of sirius that you see right out the gate which does happen in the book anyway i digress no, we'll maybe have...
1: maybe at some point you can force me to watch the movies again and I'll have my thoughts
0: We'll We'll talk more about it. We'll talk more about the Marauder's Map in, in the, the next and final chapter. Mm-hmm. Uh, hopefully we'll have Anna on for it because I'm sure she's going to have a lot of issues with what I just said. <laughs> so, uh, anyway, we're going to have a fun little mini-segment here to wrap it up.
1: Mm-hmm. I want to talk about the portraits. All right. They fascinate me. This
0: is my deep dive on Hogwarts portraits. Okay. All right, and I actually have my notes with me. This <laughs> so, this is actually pretty interesting. Okay. Uh, the degree to which they interact with people looking upon them mm-hmm. depends on the power of the witch or wizard painted.
1: So, not the painter, but the person No, painted. the witch or
0: wizard that is painted.
1: Interesting.
0: For example, you have the... Headmasters and headmistresses Mm -hmm. in the the headmaster's office.
1: Who are very, very active.
0: Correct. You also have Sir Caddy.
1: Yeah. He's fairly (laughs) active.
0: Active, but not exactly the most feedback you're ever getting from somebody. Right. You want to fight, you know, whatever. Right. So, specifically...
1: That makes me wonder about the fat lady. Who is she in real life, then?
0: Well, I have some things here. (laughs) So, uh... Essentially, the enchantments that are used upon them are to ensure that uh, the painting movement. So they have enchantments placed on them to mm-hmm. ensure the movement of the, the painting. So we've hinted at maybe, well, is a paint being used or a potion or something like that, but it's enchantments. Okay. So they use some of the depicted's favorite phrases and imitate demeanor, okay? hmm So the painter interpreted Sir Cadogan as a forever challenging and unbalanced <laughs> which is how the painter saw him that's how he's painted. Okay. Okay. So that's some of the phrases and and demeanor and stuff that it, the painters put into this.
1: Okay.
0: The fat lady is similar. Essentially this is JK's description not mine. She
1: gets drunk fairly frequently and
0: she's a two-dimensional type of character, not very deep. Mm-hmm. And that's all we really see of the Fat Ladies, is kind of a two dimensional character, not very in depth. All right. So, headmasters, however, are painted before death. Interesting. And they teach themselves. Okay? So, let's take Dumbledore. His portrait was painted before he died.
1: Which makes sense since you knew he was going to get killed.
0: Correct. So, Dumbledore then is literally teaching his own portrait. hmm. How to act and behave like them, their real counterpart, including imparting useful memories and knowledge that can be shared through centuries. That's so,
1: cool. if you're
0: a headmaster and a headmistress and you're a considerable witch or wizard, yeah. you would want your knowledge yeah. and your experiences to come through throughout the ages.
1: I feel like I've always wondered, like, what does Dumbledore do during the day? And I know, he's talking to himself in Quite port- literally. portrait form.
0: Quite literally. Which also makes sense for all of our questions about Kilderoy Lockhart and his million and a half portraits.
1: <laughs> well, were they portraits or were they just photographs?
0: I think it's all of the above. Probably. I think
1: it's, it's probably an easy. I mean, the
0: photographs the are like him in a magazine or a newspaper. Right. The ones of him, like, with his locks right. or whatever and curls.
1: Well, that makes me wonder, like... You know, like if, for example, if someone decided to paint a portrait of James and Lily, would that even be possible since so much time has passed and they wouldn't be able to be them their true selves since it's like, you you know, it's painted not with like, I see the person right there. It's just like a painted from memory or from a picture
0: or something like that. You could paint them in the, you could paint them and you could paint them in the context of your... Your impression of them, Mm -hmm. which would come through, like Sir Cadigan and, like, the Fat Lady. But they wouldn't obviously be able to impart literally parts of themselves upon it. That's the difference.
1: Because, yeah, I've always wondered that, or, like, why Harry doesn't try to get a portrait of Sirius. But
0: that's also why important witches and wizards have multiple, and they can, (laughs) you know, and they can... So then I wonder if we
1: have to like i know portraits can move amongst their portraits but usually it's just like there's the one figure moving amongst multiple so when someone paints an extra portrait of somebody is it just like a blank canvas and you're like okay you can be on this or do they paint the wizard and it just like becomes part of the other paintings you know what i mean
0: the impression i get is it's like a it's a combination of things that mm-hmm. really make the magic of it work. Mm-hmm. It's like magic of the painter, magic of the painted, and then the actual person <laughs> who it's of. It's like a you know it, it's yeah. It's a complicated bit of magic, but it's really it kind of cool, you know. So that was the Hogwarts portrait. Deep dive.
1: I feel like someone at some point in Harry's adult life is like, let me paint a portrait of you. And he's like, nah, I'm
0: good. Or, well, I'm sure because he enters an important position where he has to get his portrait painted. (laughs) And then he's asked to impart his wisdoms on it. And he's like, (laughs) um. I feel
1: like like, I have done so much my entire life. I don't need this as my legacy. (laughs) Just let me live my life. My portrait can just smile and wave. How about that? point to my scar every now and (laughs) then
0: and with harry awkwardly being painted we will end this episode uh we hope you've enjoyed it uh this was obviously a very large chapter so thanks for sticking with us also remember to check out that restricted section yeah i'm excited to listen it's chapter three the end Dance Guard, which is a really cool chapter. Obviously, there's a spoiler section. We meet Tonks. Yes. I love Tonks. So I'm really excited to talk about it and let us know what you think. So check out the Restricted Section podcast. And come back Uh, next
1: week because we're going to finish the book.
0: And we're going to come back and finish the book. That's right. So big stuff. We got Goblet of Fire. We got some new exciting things to debut in Goblet of Fire. So stick with us. Things are things are being really cool. So. Uh, stick with us and hang out and let us know what you think on Twitter and Instagram. Have a good one. Thank you for listening to Hogwarts, a podcast. If you like what you've heard, please click the subscribe button on your preferred podcasting app and follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Hogwarts Pod.